we are tasked by the nature of our jobs and our role to deliver an element of work. So the conversation around what we need to do, the performance is really, really important. But then above that is the culture. What does it mean to belong with this team? What does it mean to belong around here? And then above that, what working flexibly or in a hybrid model or working from anywhere affords us is a greater level of autonomy. But autonomy is not about just doing whatever you want, whenever you want it. It's about delivering the performance connected to the people around you in a way that's going to have you do your best work. You're listening to the Remote Work Productivity and Lifestyle Podcast, the show to hear tips and tricks about staying productive and having an awesome lifestyle as a remote worker. Proudly presented by Remote Compass and worldpodcasts.com. Now let's welcome your host, Alan Kaig. Alrighty, folks, this is Alan of RemoteCompass.com. Today we are chatting with Alison Hill, CEO of Pragmatic Thinking. Great to have you with us today, Ali. Oh, it's great to be with you, Alan. Alrighty. Can you share with us a little bit about yourself and the business? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for thanks for asking and thanks for the invitation. So I am the CEO of Pragmatic Thinking. We are a behavior and motivation strategy company, which I get is a lot of words, but we work with, <laughs> with large organizations, so big corporates going through change, mainly focusing on two areas. One of those is around leadership development and the other area is around cultural change. So how organizations can um, start to craft the culture that they want to become and how they can actually have their leaders you know, guide that culture as well. I see. Sounds like business should be very colorful this year, huh? It's been a different year, absolutely. I, I don't think there's been a single workplace that hasn't been impacted in some way, shape or form. And therefore, the way that we lead, the way that we connect and certainly, absolutely, the way that we work has significantly changed this year. Right. Based on your observations and your most recent projects, what have you been seeing in terms of how leaders have been managing this whole transition to more remote working and other relevant experiences? Yeah, look, as you alluded to before, it has been a massive change this year. And it is a change that a lot of, there's actually been a lot of companies we've been talking to who are already probably heading into an area where they were crafting much greater flexibility for their staff. They were recognising that work can be done from anywhere and and actually already starting to put things into place for that to be, to be able to happen. What's happened with COVID-19, though, is a lot of those plans and those trajectories got brought forward significantly. And so all of a sudden, teams, leaders were leading their entire teams remotely or virtually on a permanent basis. So no, no longer was it just one or two people for an afternoon here or there. And so the policies that we had, the processes that we had, that were, were grossly underprepared for that. But many, so many leaders have risen to the challenge in, in a way that so many organisations have risen to the challenge. Leaders who deeply care about their people 
really started to shift and change and find ways to connect differently when we're not doing that in an office space, when we're not standing around, you know, the the so-called water cooler and having those conversations, they absolutely doubled down and invested in connecting with their people and truly caring about how they were going. I think the other thing I've seen from leaders this year is get really targeted and very clear on the performance that we need to meet. So what is it that we need people to deliver and get really focused on being clear, clearly communicating that and opening up that to, to people who, who are working from, from anywhere. And so it has been a huge amount of change in the way that we connect, in the way that we lead. But those two areas about really, I guess, keeping that focus on performance and people is certainly what I've seen great leaders rise to the challenge of. I see. The, the latter thing that you mentioned is that about recruitment, is that about the openness of recruiting new uh, team members that come from a- anywhere or is that more about flexibility in terms of the existing team members? Uh, more around the flexibility of existing team members, but certainly, you know, I've been working with organisations who have now realised that they can source talent and recruit people from different locations. They don't have to be geographically bound uh, by needing to come to an office. So I think in some ways that has opened up a huge amounts of possibilities for organisations that have realised that actually they don't need to be constrained by a particular geographical location. So I, I definitely think that's been part of the mix for sure. I see. I understand at this point, it's already been more than uh, six months since this whole thing uh, started. How do you reckon leaders and organizations are adjusting? Are they already generally comfortable with the setup that they already have? Or is is there still much evolution and refinement that they ought to go through? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Alan, and it's probably one that um, would change on the day-to-day when you ask people in terms of their own experience. There might be some moments where they're actually going, yes, we've got everything we need and we feel like we're, we're able to be adaptable to what's around the corner. And then there'll be other times where it feels like we're making it up as we go. And so I, I think in that variety, what we've, organisations for many years have had to deal with uncertainty and change. How do we respond to uncertainty and change? What has happened across 2020 is that that has exponentially been the need. How do we deal with the uncertainty of what's next? So I I definitely think, you know, there is strategic plans or decisions being made that normally we would look at a two to three year cycle that we're now looking at the next three to six months cycle. So there's definitely strategic decisions, but but how do we shorten that time frame around what are we going to do in the next few months? knowing that there can be uncertainty and in some ways there's almost probably a collective breath holding around what if and and obviously I'm here in Australia we've just had the announcement I'm on the Gold Coast but many colleagues and friends who are based down in Melbourne and just this week have had the announcement that they will be starting to ease the significant restrictions that they have been going through which has obviously impacted a lot of those strategic plans on the way work happens for organisations and and those that have team members down in that area. So I definitely think organisations and companies, you know, have that collective breath holding around 
we need to be ready in case there are changes or lockdown periods again that might come through and planning for that potential of having flexibility in the plans that we have. So rather than being really clear on or you know very definite about this is how we're going to work, organisations that are embracing a level of flexibility but still providing a level of confidence for their staff are the ones that are, are definitely rising to the top. Those that are being challenged by that either they can't find any confidence and so people feel like they're floundering or in a void of communication and feel like things are very very uncertain or they have just a really strict level of rigidity and which then doesn't accommodate for any potential flexibility that might come so I think organizations that are that are going to succeed through this next phase are really if I can use that word balance, balancing that sense of calm, but also flexibility dependent on what might be around the corner. I see. What's been more common, Ali? Organizations and leaders that have pre-existing plans, like maybe for the next uh, two or three year horizon, they're going to be switching to a more hybrid approach or organizations that have had to come up with a totally new plan because they didn't see something like this coming? Yeah, I think that's a that's a really great question. Certainly the organizations we're working with, and it, and it might be skewed because we have the advantage of working with some fantastic organizations, forward-thinking right. organizations. So so I might be a little bit biased in in my in my answer here, mm-hmm. but certainly the conversations I'm having these leaders and organisations that were probably already on the path to change, who were open to innovation and new ways of working, who want to be seen as kind of market leaders in their field. And so therefore, there's already a culture of innovation and change and adaptability. And so, but I think what they probably hadn't thought about was the sheer size of hybrid working. So I think what they'd already gone down that path of, but they were thinking it might affect 10 to 20% of their workforce. Whereas what COVID has shown is that we need plans and strategies that actually affect more like 90 to 95% of our workforce. And so that definitely, I think, caught most people unawares. I see. So the audience is probably a bit skewed if they're listening to this kind of podcast or they tend to engage pragmatic thinking, then they're probably on the forefront. And yeah, it's self-selecting that way. (laughs) <laughs> yes, possibly. Like I said, that, that might be a bit skewed based on, on the organisations that we we tend to talk to and, and connect with. But I also think on the whole, that certainly, you know, you have to adapt to change. Otherwise, I think because of the length of time, there was probably early on certainly some capability just to sit and wait and see if this might go away after a couple of months. The fact that it's been now over six months actually requires organisation to think, okay, what can we do differently and how do we prepare for the next opportunity, the next change and uncertainty that might come come forward in order for us to still be relevant and for order for us to still be around and serving our customers and clients, but maybe doing that in a different way. That's a great point, Ali, actually. 
whenever leaders look at uh, working remotely or adopting other modern ways of working, is that more like a n- facing a necessary evil versus optimizing their workflow, having the flexibility to, to let their team work from anywhere? Do you see that leaders are finding that even without restrictions, even without COVID or anything that forces them, they would choose to to work remotely a little bit more often? Or is that more like imposed by the situation? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I think, and again, that's a really interesting question. I think it, it was forced to be imposed by the situation, but that has afforded leaders the opportunity to now look at it and and what we have six months on is evidence to say that people are productive that they are putting out really good work that people are still connecting and they're doing it in a flexible manner and so all the fears that we might have had about not not moving to this model as quickly have now been alleviated by virtue of the work being delivered and so I think I, yeah, I do think it was probably forced on, but it does need to start with, and we're, we're actually in the process of writing a book called Work From Anywhere, which will be out in, in early 2021. So through the process, yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. So through the process of doing the research and that work, in terms of embracing and creating a world-class hybrid team, not just an effective hybrid hybrid team, but how can you have it working for you, working for your staff, but also working for the organisation? It does start with having a belief that this way of working is worth pursuing. And so even though the situation might have been forced based on the circumstances of 2020, it does require leaders and, and teams to actually step into this place of maybe there are there are benefits for us. Maybe there are better ways of connecting. There are better ways of working. We're seeing that people are much more productive. We're, we're reducing the disruption and the interruptions that might happen by, by being in an office. We're affording people the opportunity to be able to have the autonomy about when they work and how they work. Where are they m- most productive? And so those that might choose, and we've got some even in our team that actually feel like they are much more productive early in the morning so they might get up at seven o'clock and they'll do an hour hour and a half worth of work and they feel like they've they've kind of kick-started their day we have a a pattern with our team a ritual so to speak where we encourage and we celebrate our team to get out in the middle of the day and we call it seize the midday So we want to encourage people to get out, go outside, go and get some movement, generally around 12 o'clock, so around midday. And we often encourage our team to kind of share a photo of that because what it does is it's that prompt for the person that's that's still working at their desk to get out and move and have the energy to come back in and do that second part of the day. So I think, you know, whilst it was imposed... There is a point now for, you know, this opportunity for us to embrace the belief that maybe, just possibly, there can be better ways of working that is going to afford people to bring their best to work, to deliver the best outcomes for our customers and clients, and be much more sustainable for, for our teams moving forward, which I think is really exciting to to start to think about. I see. So kickstarting it was more like imposed, but maintaining it is a different kind of story. 
Yeah, yeah, I do think it does require a, a commitment to to maintaining it and being really conscious about what do we want to carry forward? What are those rhythms and rituals that are part of who we are? Uh, and we often talk about they, they come back to those two categories around performance and people. How are we tracking or guiding people and setting expectations about what needs to be delivered? And then how are we looking after our people along the way, checking in with them, connecting with culture and connections to the work that we do? I see. Ali, what do you reckon have been the most common challenges for, for leaders during this time? Mm. There's a couple of categories that come to mind, again, through both anecdotally, so the, the conversations that I've had, and also the research. I think the very first one that comes to mind, great leaders have cared deeply throughout this time. And there are many that have had to face you know, significant downturns in their in their business. So reduction of money, reduction of revenue, reduction of, of budget. And they have worked long hours. Really good leaders have put in extra hours. They have, you know, cared about their people and they have done what is required to deliver the work. And so one of the things is just for leaders themselves on a very individual level to manage their own energy, to manage their own mm. mental health and to manage their own state, I think has been important and will continue to be important in order for them to have the, the I guess, the energy and the guidance to be able to continue to inspire and lead their teams moving forward. So that's definitely... Mm. Yeah, definitely that first place that I think is is an area that, that leaders have needed to focus on. It's probably an issue of boundaries, isn't it? When you're working from home and there's no like uh, clear or definite start or end time to your work, especially amid the challenges in terms of the economic downturn and all that kind of stuff. If you're at home the entire day and there's no context switch of you stepping in the office and then another context switch of you stepping outside of the office, mm. it's harder to uh, sort of pause that work mode. Is that does that seem to be the common situation? That's certainly that's certainly a component of it. I think when we we went into lockdown or we you know when people started working from home, there was just a huge amount of work that needed to be done. There were things that needed to be achieved. And so and so those those things started to get a little bit blurred as well. I I actually think there can be an embracing and that, you know, having again that flexibility of the way that you work, when you work and how you work. We have and, you know, started to see into people's homes through video conferencing. We've met some of their kids by, by virtue of them coming into the, into the cameras. And I think that's really nice in some ways. So even when we talk about some of those kind of boundaries being blurred, I think some of that is positive. But what can happen is if we don't have these these tripwires or, you know, actions that help us to reset, to step away for a moment, and that's part of when, you know, I talked about with our team, we have that ritual of, you know, seize the midday, that at some point in the middle of the day, you're getting out and you're changing, just changing energy state and, and getting moving again. Because again, by virtue of not doing the commute to work, I think we've reduced physically just how many steps we're taking in a day, how much movement we are taking. So I think for me, that's really important to 
think about those transitions as you described, both starting work and wrapping up work for your day. We've been talking to leaders about everything from, you know, even physically stepping outside, going for a walk down your driveway, turning around and coming back. So just having that as a little transition from one to the other. There's an action and activity that I've started doing at the end of the day, which is really just to help wrap up my day. So getting a pen and piece of paper and writing down those three things that I've achieved today, three things I'm going to let go of today and three things that I need to do tomorrow. And that ritual, that process, it takes no more than five minutes, but it helps just to bookend my work day because there's always more to do. There's always other things to be done to come back to, but that helps just to kind of put a closure on the day and then go and be really present with my family. So I think I think that's really important for leaders. The other challenge, and you, you asked the question around what are the, the key challenges we've seen, what I've heard from, certainly from the research, in terms of not having people together in an office, the cha- is the challenge about collaboration. So how do we innovate and how do we collaborate when we have people working at different times or at different paces, as well as being in different locations? And so I actually think that's going to be the new frontier for teams to be finding tools to be able to collaborate well in a way that they can still be working from anywhere. And, you know, we've, we've started to experiment with some of those. We're using some technology platforms that are helping out with that, but also crafting different times and different opportunities and different ways that we can connect with people. And some of that is through video conference. Some of it is even just doing FaceTime on your phone, but going for a walk around the block. So you're doing that sort of traditional, you know, kind of brainstorming, but again, you're you're doing that together, but in different locations. So that's definitely going to be, I think, the next frontier that teams will need to navigate. And it will be important to do that without getting frustrated and just saying, look, this doesn't work. I actually think there will be ways that we can work and collaborate and innovate, but not necessarily need to be in the same space in order to do that. I see. I think there's a couple of related issues there. Number one is the ability to communicate clearly, even if you're not in the same room, not facing a whiteboard. And number two is the ability to nurture a connection with the other folks in your team, sharing the vision, enjoying your team members, connecting as basically human beings outside of the efficiency of the communication. Is that fair? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It is it is being able to do both of those. So how are we tracking and how are we visualizing the, the tasks or the projects that we're working on so that we can actually see progress. So progress and motivation absolutely go hand in hand. And when you're not around a whiteboard and in an office, you can miss that. And so what are what are some of the tools and platforms that you can use? But the second thing in that which you touched on so beautifully, which is around how do we connect and craft that space just to connect as humans, find out what's going on for people. You know, across this year, there's been a huge amount that has changed in workplaces, but there's also been a huge amount that has changed in people's lives themselves. So even in our team, 
We've we've been there to support each other through some hard times. We've been there to celebrate with each other through some really exciting times. But again, a lot of that has been done quite differently. We're not we're not in an office or going out for lunch together, but we might share a lunch over a Zoom conference or we might find a way to send a handwritten note or send a care pack to each other. So I think it's it's looking for ways and just different methodologies to still be expressing that level of care and support. I see. Those are nice exercises: Zoom lunches, or or sending、uh, handwritten notes, or other physical goods. So there's a sort of physical element to the relationship,、mm. and you're not just、um, staring at the screen, basically. Yeah, I think it's it, it is really important to remember the tangible when we are going so digital in this world that sometimes that tangible, an actual card in the post, can actually make someone's day. Yeah. And in the long run, I reckon that without restrictions like lockdowns and such, a hybrid model will be very useful. Like you can do most of your week remotely and asynchronously at your own time, space, and pace. But the team can occasionally sync up by meeting up face to face, breaking bread, and all that kind of stuff. Based on a certain recurring schedule, whether that might be quarterly or weekly, depending on your team structure and how distributed the team is around the globe. Yeah, I think it is going to be important to still craft those times for us to get face to face. And I would encourage anyone listening for when they're planning for that is to make sure that we are maximizing that time. And what I mean by that, and you, again, you said it so beautifully in that statement, there was was around how are we actually breaking bread? Let's actually spend time together. Let's get to know each other and build those rapport and connections. And when we strengthen those, they serve us when we go back to that work from anywhere platform or virtual. Kind of platform, so just making sure that when we are getting people together, we're not sitting them in the room and putting them through a death by PowerPoint process, but actually <laughs> allowing those kind of social conversations is just going to be really, really important. For me, I think about it, and certainly with my team, I'm starting to think about how we will come together early in 2021. And so, thinking about what are the experiences rather than just the education. I think we can do education virtually, but experiences is what we want to focus on when we have those opportunities to come together. So that might be for a morning, it might be once a week, it might be once a quarter, it might be、uh, you know for a couple of days once a year. However, that format works for your team. But really, you know, obsessing about and crafting fantastic experiences when we do have those opportunities to come together. I see. I reckon, especially with the rise of working from anywhere and concepts like the gig economy, whether it's by running an agency or becoming a freelancer, working for multiple clients, and similar experiences like that. The relationship at work might be changing. It might become less personal and more transactional. I'm not sure if there's any、uh, definite answer in terms of the kind of relationships that we want to nurture at work in terms of boundaries, how personal they are. But I reckon there's a benefit if you just generally like the people you work with. Yes, yes, I think there is. I agree. Often that that relationship, though, us liking the people we work with, comes from an investment of time. 
It comes from right. taking the time to ask how they are, what is going on for them. Even so one of the things we do with our, our team, we usually do it when we're onboarding new team members and we've had a couple of new team members even in the last couple of weeks, even in this new way of working, is we get them to do their values. So to share with us those things that are important to them. What makes them tick? What are they? What lights them up? And those conversations help us to like the people we work with. The more we know them, the more that we can connect with components of who they are and we can understand them. And also the more the more that we celebrate how they are different to us and why why that's important to have them in our team as well. So I agree with you. I think it does require an investment of time and being really conscious about that. In terms of that fear or possibility where we just get into this point of being transactional in our communications, it is something I think it's worth being incredibly mindful of. And it's something, you know, we've been talking about with even crafting that model for working from anywhere, I think it starts with a foundation of performance. We are tasked by the nature of our jobs and our role to deliver an element of work. That's part of what work is. And so the conversation around what we need to do, the performance is really, really important. But then above that is the culture. So what does it mean to belong with this team? What does it mean to belong around here? And how do we do the work? And how might that be different to maybe another organisation or another team? And then above that, what working flexibly or in a hybrid model or working from anywhere affords us is a greater level of autonomy. But autonomy is not about just doing whatever you want, whenever you want it. It's about delivering the performance connected to the people around you in a way that's going to have you do your best work. That means that you bring those best together. And so if you think about those three elements of performance, culture and autonomy, if all we have is just performance and autonomy, which is kind of what you're Mm -hmm. describing, we just become transactional. We do the work and we do really great work uh, and we do it the way that that best serves us. And, but we're missing that component of culture, we end up having a group of contractors or consultants. Mm. And in some ways, organisations will move to that if there isn't this connection around culture because you can outsource that, right? You can get contractors who will deliver the work, who will be great at it, they'll get the job done, but they're not part, they're not connected. There's not this um, sense of you know, belonging, which is so important and a, and a really critical part of our work. And so I think if that starts to happen, if you're noticing some of those signs where we are getting a bit too transactional or this sense of, you know, feeling like that your team are just a group of contractors, then investing in those culture conversations, not at the cost of performance, but definitely in addition to the conversations about performance is really important for sure. Wow, that's a great point. And would you say that sometimes it's okay to invest only in autonomy and performance if the relationship is deemed to be temporary? Like you might have team members, but for certain certain projects you wanna you can be a little more transactional because it's a temporary sort of aspect. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, your culture is always going to ooze in a little bit in terms of how people feel and the way that we connect. But it's being really clear about the intention of the relationship, how long it's for, yeah. what are we here to achieve, and then making sure that we're focusing on deliver, delivering that as well. So yeah, for sure. 
Great. As long as you're mindful, as long as you made that decision instead of just sliding into there, yes. but that's not your intention. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This has been great, Ali. Before we wrap up, can you name one thing your remote work experience has taught you that you reckon everybody should know? <laughs> that is such a great question. I almost feel like there's a book coming out next year that will have, <laughs> that will capture all of that. But if I think about one, it probably does come back to that mindset and belief. It comes back to really that choice to go, you know what, we that it's possible that there might be other ways of working that can serve really well. I think um, I'm going to throw in a second one. I know this is a second one rather than, and you asked for one. Um, but my second one is that it has taught me to continue to be clear about the things that matter around here. And so I think often we we aren't as overt or we don't have those kind of conversations when we were in the office because we come in and a lot of those things that mattered were up on posters on the wall or we talked about them over the morning tea table or across desk with our with our colleagues and and yet we need to be much more intentional about those conversations so bringing to life our values at work having those conversations about why we we're enjoying this piece of work or this project that we're working on and delivering those so being much more intentional and purposeful about that which also requires us to have an, a, an emotional wisdom that is strengthened, that we can step into these conversations with other people, that we have greater feedback conversations, that we we are encouraged to do that, even though it might be slightly harder, it feels like there's more barriers, it becomes even more important to have those. So for me, it is about beliefs, but also stepping into, I think, that emotional wisdom that's going to be required for us to be able to you know, be world-class in the way that we're working in a hybrid or in a remote model. Great stuff. Ali, where can our audience um, learn more about you and the business? Oh, thank you, Alan. Look, yeah, we are at pragmaticthinking.com is our is our place in the World Wide Web. We're also, probably LinkedIn is the best place. So at Alison Hill on LinkedIn and Pragmatic Thinking is also on LinkedIn. So that's probably where we put most of our resources. We'll be putting out a lot more video uh, content in the coming months as well. So we'd love to connect with you there. Excellent. Thanks so much, Ali. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for listening to the Remote Work Productivity and Lifestyle Podcast. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any of our upcoming or prior episodes. This show is presented by Remote Compass and worldpodcasts.com. 